everybody. I'm Shate. I'm Scott, and we're the Hazes. Welcome back to season two of The Love Haze, where in the first season, we talked a lot about healing and wholeness, and uh, that is always going to be important to us, talking about how to rethink the way that you love your life. But this season, we have shifted, and now we're talking about purpose work in the community, right? I think there will always be a process of healing and and, and getting to our, the highest versions of ourselves. But in the meantime, in between time, uh, there is a lot of work that we could all be doing and that folks are already actively doing to Absolutely. empower and impact their communities. So we're having some really insightful, inspiring, incredible conversations with some of those folks this season. I love it. Yeah. And so we understand that there will always be a haze, but we can make a choice to show up whole and healed and ready to do our purpose work to make our communities and uh, our personal spaces better. Um, and we can always show up uh, ready to do our purpose work. Here, here. So today we have my line sister, Dr. Jihan, who is a board certified pediatrician and owner of Peace of Mind Pediatrics in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. She is the director of the Claire Community Health Center, which is a free uh, clinic for the uninsured, which I think is incredible. She also has a great Facebook page, which is at Dr. Jihan, where she mm -hmm. hosts a series of live streams with different folks in the community as well, with a focus specifically on topics impacting uh, minority communities. We are so excited to have you, sis. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Welcome, welcome, Dr. Jihan. Exactly. <laughs> so we're just going to jump right into it. Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit about what it is that you do and how you got started. So as, as she mentioned, I am a board certified pediatrician. So I care for children from birth to, I have a few, I have like a few 20 year olds as well. <laughs> Just can't quite leave the practice, but I handle pretty much anything in terms of health in that realm. I have a special interest in topics of breastfeeding, but also a lot of um, information and um, dialogue in psych psychiatric illnesses as well. I've actually done like an extra year um, training in psychiatric illnesses. So I do a lot of work with that. Also obesity and nutrition, those are to my heart as well. And so what got me to this position? When I was in high school, I actually recently found a box that I had written a brochure when I was in high school telling people my future career. It's, it's very interesting because I think it was 1996 or, or something like that. But anyhow, in it, I tell people I'm going to be a corporate lawyer and I'm going to live in Atlanta mm -hmm. Wow! in 10 years. Now, granted, 10 years from that date, I was in Atlanta, but I was a doctor. <laughs> so I, I, sat, I had to sit back and say, what made me switch um, to medicine? And I think I early on, I thought I wanted to be a lawyer because we had no lawyer. My uncle was a lawyer, but there's no other lawyers in my family. My father's a physician. His brother's a physician. Both of my mom's siblings are physicians. Wow. So I thought I was like, well, I'm going to break out of this mold and do something different. Well, lo and behold, around the age of 14 or 15, a, my close friend's best friend passed away on the basketball court. Mm. He was a star athlete, varsity as a freshman. Like he was a beast. And he died at lunch. He collapsed at lunch while, you know, just playing 21. And it really prompted me to wonder, like, what happened to him and how to prevent this from happening to anyone else? And so at that point, I really was like, I'm going to be a doctor. 
and interested in sports medicine. So they introduced me to like casting and, you know, the ortho aspect. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to do pediatric sports medicine all the way. I ended up going to a high school of math and science um, so that I could make sure that I was, you know, top notch science student, and, which helped me get a full scholarship to Spelman. Um, you know, they only gave five and my sister already there. So they were like, you, you have to have a full scholarship. <laughs> and so I worked that. I, I was so grateful and blessed to be able to do that. And then when I was there, I majored in biochemistry. I, I love chemistry. So I chose something that I did enjoy and it was a struggle, but I made it through and graduated actually magna cum laude. And with that degree, which is what I really, really wanted. And then applied immediately to medical school and got into a few. And I just really wanted to stay in the Atlanta area. And I liked Morehouse School of Medicine. So I just walked across the street (laughs) and uh, went to medical school. And then when it came time for, you know, in medical school, the ortho people came in and I was like, yeah, I'm going to be one of you guys. They brought out the Black and Decker. And I'm like, what is this for? They're like uh, to saw through bone. And I'm like, oh, is this what sports medicine is? And they're like, I mean, yes. I mean, that's an aspect if you want to do orthopedics. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I'm not going to do ortho. I'll just do sports medicine through pediatrics. Then I found out there's only like three of those positions, like like residency positions. Like it just doesn't really exist. Yeah. I was like, oh, so I should just become a general pediatrician and do a little bit of extra work in sports medicine. So that's kind of where it, it landed me. But then it's funny because as I actually got into residency and I ended up staying at Morehouse because I, I decided I didn't want to go anywhere else. It was funny. I really love the family at Morehouse School of Medicine. It's a small environment and I really love the faculty. And so I, I, I changed my match list at the last minute. I was like, Charlotte was number one. I was like, I'm going to Charlotte. And then the last minute, I was like, I want to stay in Atlanta. And I ended up matching because I don't know if you guys know, but when we apply for residency, we don't really just get to pick where we want to go. It's a commitment. So uh, I, I, I switched that. And so I wanted to be able to stay. So it was, it was really cool. But as I went through Morehouse and started to realize that sports medicine wasn't what I thought it was any, anymore either. It was a lot of allowing people to play and return to play when I felt that they shouldn't actually. And so I was like, well, you know, I don't want to become that specialist and have parents screaming at me and yelling at me because I pull your kid because that's the healthiest thing for them. So I feel like general pizza is best for me. And when I have those athletes that I am worried about, I do send them to the specialists. I don't always agree with their return to play, but um, at least it's not, not on me anymore. And I can, you know, feel like I did. Of course I'm going to share the parents, my thoughts, but A lot of, you know, youth and they just see that as the only way out. And so if you say, I need you to halt a season, then they're not going to. But I'll be honest with you, almost every child that I said, I feel like you should halt. They ended up with a worse injury, which several of them have prevented them from actually going to college. So oh, it, wow. sometimes it makes me really sad that they don't want to listen. But it's the nature of um, our society now in sports. Yeah. I think that's a really interesting story that you have. And oftentimes these days, especially, you don't always hear of people who, you know, choose their major, really know what they want to do, stick with it, go on to like actually work and practice in in the field that they had their major in. I am definitely one of those people who (laughs) 
I think I want to do this. Um, but really, all I ever really wanted to do was perform. I just didn't really know how to articulate that or know what it looked like, you know, in a mm -hmm. in a in what in a, as a college student. So you stuck with it. Um, were there impulses along the way that you know? Were you still really passionate about the work about the work as you were going through, you know, school and residencies? Like, were you still always really committed, or did that ever falter? And then I'd also love to know at what point did your your focus start to shift from you said it a little bit and when you just shared from like sports medicine to like being more community minded like we see you you know on the board of a community health center and then you have live streams that are focused on minority communities when did that focus start to shift for you so i will say go you know first part of your question i i didn't really waver which is rare and i understand that i'm rare most people go on to do other things, but I was very fortunate in that while I was at Spelman, there was a gentleman and I always give him credit. He it was a gentleman who did a domestic exchange from Stanford. Mm -hmm. I had met him the summer before at a minority pre-med program. And so then he, he did domestic exchange. Well, when he was a year ahead of me. So when he came, he started telling me about all these opportunities abroad that he was doing. And I was like, how do you know about this stuff? And he was like, well, he was a patient from Stanford. And let's be honest, you know, a lot of opportunities come to those types of schools. So he had me apply to this program in Barbados. So it was after my sophomore year. Mm -hmm. No, yes, it was after my sophomore year. It was after sophomore year. And so I applied to that program and I spent two months living in Barbados updating their type one diabetes registry. It's a very small island. So it sounds like a really big <laughs> task, but it was probably like 150 people. Mm -hmm. um, so, but trying to find those people, identify and studying them. And then we were comparing them and their diets to people in Pennsylvania. So it was through the University of Pittsburgh. And it really just changed my whole perspective of like healthcare to being able to be in a country and see how different it was. So it was a great opportunity. And it's, what's interesting is that gentleman, he's an ER physician and he actually was in Botswana. And now I think he moved to South Africa. Wow. Um, he helped start um, clinics and educate people there. It's pretty, he's, um, he, he just got married too. He's just a, a great person and um, really helped kind of change my view on things. So when I graduated from Spelman, I ended up, I backpacked through Thailand, which was cool. And I got sick while I was there. So I actually mm -hmm. kind of experienced their, you know, healthcare system a little bit, which pushed me. But then while in medical school, I was able to go to the Dominican Republic and I stayed for two months and worked with patients with HIV and AIDS. And I actually had to be the nurse, the doctor, the housekeeping. I stayed the night literally with our little babies and <laughs> it was a mess. <laughs> we had no nurses. Like I was literally in a hospital that wasn't completely finished being built because the regular hospitals wouldn't admit, admit people with AIDS. Wow. So I was like, all right, I don't know how to do this. Like, they were like, you don't learn today. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and the next morning I'm like, he's alive. You know, can you just bring him to the house? So I ended up bringing the babies and they slept in laundry baskets in our room. <laughs> wow. I was like, I'm not sleeping at this abandoned hospital no more. <laughs> it's not abandoned, but it just wasn't finished. And so that just changed my whole perspective of community work and the need. And I'm like, we're so 
like in America, we take for granted. Every place I've been has had universal health care. So I've seen what it's like when you're able to get free health care, but you still can't get all the, the full health care. Right. So like in Dominican Republic, you can't go here because you got AIDS. Mm. Like, so I can't find you a hospital bed. So I, we literally paid for a man's hotel room and would bring him food and care for him because they wouldn't admit him. Wow. Now, I'm sure those things have changed. I mean, that was what, 2007 uh, or 2006. So I'm sure those things have hopefully improved. But it just shows you how, you know, not universal health care isn't necessarily always the answer if we're going to restrict access based on certain things. Or, like, for instance, you could have a hospital bed, but you had to buy your own IV solution. Wow. And some of the physicians that were in the program I was in, and this program was through um, Columbia Medical School, they actually donated blood to be given to our patients. Wow. Because <laughs> the blood supply was giving people illness. And they knew that they, you know, their residents, they just had, you know, testing and knew they were clean. And so literally we're donating blood to give to patients. So it really changed just how I saw everything. And then I was, I ended up doing another program in Costa Rica, did another program in Mexico. And through that is where I really just was like, okay, everyone has a right to quality healthcare, right? And so as a pediatrician, I'm still going to see, you know, underserved communities. A lot of people are like, you need to just do direct primary care, cash pay. You don't need to take Medicaid. And I was like, I understand that. But I feel like I'd be a complete hypocrite knowing that everyone deserves a quality pediatrician. Somebody's going to fight for them and has the knowledge base. And so that's part of Peace of Mind Pediatrics. We see, you know, any type of any background. We take every insurance. I mean, we, we really don't discriminate in any way, shape or form. And then we opened up the free clinic. It wasn't necessarily my idea. The free clinic wasn't, I can't take, you know, um, um, you know, say that that was mine. So it was other people who wanted it there and asked, approached me and they approached me years ago. And I was like, I don't have time to do it. And they approached me again. And I said, I still don't have time to do it. But then another person stepped in and said, well, I'll help you. And so they've helped me do a lot of the things. And, um, but then I kind of got pushed back out there. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, there's, you know, other people are still helping, but not to the extent that I thought people would be helping. So I have had to, you know, step up and really try to take charge of things for the clinic. And so our goal, we, we really just opened in the pandemic. We had hoped to have had this huge, you know, grand opening in April and, you know, we were shut down and we can't see COVID patients yeah. facility, but we're able to provide care for people who are not actively like very sick. You know, we make sure they don't have that, but just checkups. Like I, I was able to see a patient who has cystic fibrosis and hadn't been to the doctor, didn't have any of her medications or anything. So was able to coordinate that and we pay for their, um, we pay for their medications if they're low cost. And then we sign them up with the companies for those that are more expensive and things like that. And then we pay for their labs and things like that too. So we want, we've even partnered with the organization here that will help get x-rays and MRIs and CTs and even surgeons, some surgeons donate their time to do the surgeries and things like that. So that's kind of a long story of how I kind of transformed from one to work with the athletes that got all the money. 
I think that's a, a powerful story and mm -hmm. it's beautiful. I think you should tell it all the time if, if, you, if you don't like to have the firsthand experience in all of these communities and how it actually informs like your day-to-day -day work. And I think that, um, yeah, it's beautiful like to hear um, how you've had that kind of frontline experience in that regard and, and are taking it and, and helping impacting the communities mm -hmm. here. I think that's... I applaud you, sis. That's beautiful. Oh, well, thank you. I, I'm just grateful that for people who come into your lives for a reason, you know, and you don't even realize it. And then you're like, wow. Like, <laughs> Along those lines, what would you say is the the haze of this work? Of course, yeah. this is the love haze. And, and we are, you know, looking at, you know, the fact that, you know, the love of our communities can can present, you know, some challenges. And, and of course we view that as the haze, all of us being parts of um, non-hazing organizations. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I wore purple just for you. <laughs> uh, so what, what's the haze for you? What, what are some of the major difficulties you face in this work that you've been purposed to do? So, you know, I smile, I try to smile, but it is very difficult. And I will say that the populations that I choose to work with is a very difficult population. Mm -hmm. And I have to, you know, when you choose to service a Medicaid population, I don't have just, you know, mine's probably like half and half. Mm -hmm. and you choose to service that population. Remember that there are people who have children who never finished junior high school. We're not even talking about high school, right? We have people who, you know, people who had IEPs and didn't understand or have learning difficulties have children. Mm. And so it often becomes very difficult getting some of those patients and families the services that they need because the parents may not completely understand. So really having to like walk parents through, but then also, you know, I have one family where they just, the mom doesn't understand birth control either. And I don't think that, you know, the, whoever she saw last time she had a baby completely, you know, explained it to her well to where she understood. So now she keeps having babies, but she doesn't know what to do, you know, and she can't really handle it and needs a lot of services. And so I have to talk to the school and ask in the school, how can we help her? How can you all help her? How can we do these other things? The um, got her a caseworker, like for housing and, you know, different things like and so that becomes, that's very difficult. And also, how do I explain it to you? Like how, how to use this medication when you don't, you don't, you really don't understand this and you don't have anyone helping you. So that's a big um, challenge. Others are just that, you know, people like to curse you out and stuff. I got cursed out yesterday. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh man. I was kind of MFR. <laughs> I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> do nothing. Like I literally did nothing. It was um, something got faxed to a pharmacy, and it was a fax error or something. Like I was like, "Whoa!" Like I didn't even do nothing. I can't control the fax machine, like right. on their end or my end, you know. And I had to, you know, be able to suck it up. And I was like, "Okay, even though the parents are crazy, the child is needs a lot of help." This is a this is actually a very complex child. And so I was like, I still have to call them and make sure they understand what's about to happen next. I may dismiss you <laughs> from practice, but I need to call you. So being able to put on that other hat 
and smile when people are being rude and whatever, and still say, I'm here for the child, not you crazy. (laughs) You know, and these people don't even have mental illness. So I'm not even tying that. Please, please don't. So just people who are having a bad day, who haven't really been taught how to not lash out. And so because I understand a little bit more, I'm able to navigate that situation and make sure that the child gets what they need. So that's definitely a haze. And I'll say for, you know, for our clinic, the biggest haze is just help. Everybody's on board. Everybody's excited. Everybody's proud of you. But nobody wants to work half the time. You know? mm-hmm. so, and that's the reality is. And I, I knew that going in. And so I'm like, I can only do what I can do. Yeah. You know, like j- just this morning, people were asking me to, to, to set up COVID testing. I mean, COVID um, vaccines. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know how much work that takes? Like, you got the, it's not just volunteers to sign people up. You have to have the people to administer the vaccine. And you have to make sure it flows so that people aren't getting COVID waiting <laughs> for the vaccine. Mm-hmm. You know, like, this is not something simple. And people don't quite understand, you know, when, because they're like, oh, well, you're a doctor. You're the, you have to do stuff for the community because there's so few black physicians in this area. I mean, you guys are blessed, you know, to have a ton where you are. But here, I mean, I I could probably I met one today and I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> where did you come from? <laughs> yeah, I. I can imagine that. I hear you. And back to your point about, you know, just kind of knowing your patients don't have mental illness, but you're, you're, it sounds like you're absorbing like a lot. And one thing I didn't mention in your bio, but we know you're a mother of three and a (laughs) wife and um, you're doing all of this. So what, how do you take care of yourself when you've got a, you know, on the board and have a free clinic, running your own Mm -hmm. practice, you got a household, you got babies of your own, you got a man, like how, what do you do to take care of you? Um, so that's been my challenge. And so I failed. <laughs> I haven't, I have, I have not quite figured that aspect of my life out. And so recently what I've been trying to do is actually my kids have swimming on Tuesdays and Thursdays. I let them go to swimming. And so I work out when they go to swimming, you know, something as simple as that. And I know other people are like, that's nothing, but that's big yeah. for me. Um, someone who is two doors down from the massage therapist and has the gift card that never got used. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's baby steps, but we are also trying to strategize. You know, I personally, my husband and I, we were, cause he doesn't get to do it either. <laughs> mm-hmm. His own business and doing a lot of things too. And so we both sat down and said, okay, we're going to strategize how we do some of these things. And so we're doing a better job, even in terms of, you know, cooking and crockpot meals versus this, you know, types of things to try to figure that out. And then, okay, how do we have breaks? How do we calm ourselves down? This for one hour of the day, I'm going to not answer any calls. I'm going to ignore people. And I know that's not really doing much, but for me, that's that's sufficient for now. Yeah. And I have a vacation plan in March. And so one week, and I know that sounds like not that much, but I have not taken a one week vacation. Well, I took one, I guess, two years ago, but that's big for 
Yeah, <laughs> minimize that. Like mm -hmm. that, all of those little things will add up. Uh, you know, like the taking the time for yourself, not mm -hmm. entertaining anyone else's requests, the vacation, the working out, like mm -hmm. one offs might seem like a small thing, but when you put them all into practice, mm -hmm. like that's, that's huge. I'm happy that you're doing that for yourself. So you don't, you know, you, you're not going to be any good for the, the communities that you serve. If you, if you're not, you know, taking care of yourself first. So I think that's good. I'm proud of you. Yeah, no, thank you. <laughs> Baby steps. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that, you know, our, we are passionate about the work that we do and it, it sounds like you are um you know just like most of us you know when we get into what our purpose work is we have to remember and and get back in touch with those things that are rooted in self-care as well so that you know we're we're equipped to do this every day because if burnout is real yep. too so you know we have to be able to uh you know figure out how we take best care of ourselves and, and do the work that we're supposed to be doing as well. And so you got your own practice and then you got the the work that you feel purpose to do. So yeah. when you're off, you're still on, right? On Facebook, educating communities, all that kind of stuff. So you really got to be able to do all of it and figure out how to take care of yourself. Right. Um, yeah, think, yeah, definitely. I know more recently, a few of us, who do similar things and I have another friend, she leads a nonprofit as well. We were like, you know, we do a lot of community work. They need to start paying us for it because I'm working harder here to make up for that. So February, I'm like, what are y'all, what, what's the honorarium? Yeah. <laughs> and people are like, oh, oh, we can do that. I'm like, uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> so that I'm not, you know, doing extra to make up for this deficit. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if there's an opportunity to have a team. I'm sure you have it, for example, uh, with you know some of the nonprofit stuff you do, and I'm sure you have it for your practice, but even in your home life, I am always telling him like, if we can afford it, whenever we have kids, like I need a team to help me, like somebody to help with the cleaning every once, and not every day, you know, not, not celebrity life, but like, can somebody do <laughs> cleaning? Uh, can somebody do some meal prep for us? Can like, is there something that somebody could take off of our plate so that we still have time for ourselves? We still right. have time for our relationship. If we have a family, we have time for that. So if you can outsource anything, honey. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we used and I used to actually outsource my meals and all that, and then people, you know, couldn't do it anymore. Mm -hmm. Things like that. I'm fortunate. Part of the reason we moved back here to Oklahoma from Atlanta was because my mom and my sisters are here. So they are helpful, but the problem has been COVID. And so I have three Jeremy kids. <laughs> yeah. Some people, they, 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 recently though, they did come and they cleaned up the house while I wasn't here, you know, like that. So they will definitely, my family is definitely very helpful, but they're also very busy too. <laughs> yeah. They're very busy as well. I understand. I understand. Okay, so then how has this work uh, impacted you? I imagine you having a huge impact. I'm sure you are on the communities that you're serving and those those families, but how has the work that you do impacted your own personal life? You as a woman, as a human. Well, you know, every time I make a breakthrough, you know, it feels so, it's so rewarding, you know, even when a parent finally gets it. I was I give an example, you know, I just a little while ago, I was at the hospital seeing a patient of mine who I admitted to the hospital 10 days ago mm. and being able to catch what was wrong with him when someone else failed to mm -hmm. and 
possibly literally saving his life. And he's only five, you know, and yeah. that right there is so rewarding. And yeah. so it, it, you forget about all the other stuff. Like I forget people curse me out because I got to see a five-year-old who's still here yeah. of, you know, me being able to catch something very quickly. You know, little things like that are definitely rewarding. And I feel that every time we do something and seeing people smile and people saying, I'm going to pray for you. I'm like, yes, <laughs> mm-hmm. thank you. And it's because some people are like, well, why do you keep doing this and doing this? You're, do- you're giving too much of yourself and not putting enough into yourself. And I know people often say that, but some of us actually feel, you know, better when we do give more. Why don't we talk about empaths and all these other things? And so I am one of those people that I get a high off of giving bags out to the homeless. And then when they see what's in the bag, I'm like, yeah. (laughs) And people are like, you're weird. But (laughs) something that I get excited about because I, when I was in Atlanta, I used to serve under the bridge in Auburn, the Auburn bridge. We used to serve Mm -hmm. homeless every Sunday. And when they would open their box and see, cause we would cook the food and they would see what it was and see the excitement. We were like, yes, you know, and mm-hmm. that just made you realize that you brought a smile to someone's face in mm-hmm. a, dark, a dark situation. And, and, you know, people of course look at those populations and they're like, well, that'll never be me. No, that could be you tomorrow. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Reality of, especially these times now people are realizing, oh, that could be me tomorrow. But to see how you make that impact. And my parents, sometimes I fought my parents, right? <laughs> my parents, Nor, my first name, Noor Jihan. I know I go by Jihan, but Noor Jihan means light of the world. Mm. Wow. When I was little, my dad, I was acting up or something. He was like, are you spreading light or darkness? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what you mean? He's like, are you bringing light? Are you bringing dark? And then I have to go, you know what? Let me get my act together because I'm not shining light. And so that needs to be, he's like, I named you this for a reason. Mm. And so each one of each one of us has a, you know, our, a name for our me- I mean, a meaning behind our name. And our parents used to always remind us of why mm. they us that. And so it's something that I think that it is indebted to me. My 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 mother's a high school counselor and has she's 70 and still works. Wow. It helps. In fact, ask Drew one day. <laughs> no, I will, right? Yes. Yeah, so she's she's the one who really pushed him to go to Tuskegee mm-hmm. and made sure that they had money to go to those institutions. And she still does that. I mean, she's done it for I mean countless numbers of students. And so when I see that, people, I'm like, what else you want me to do? Like my mom, my mama doing this, I gotta do something, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> my dad, he he does, he has a lot of houses and he often lets people stay in them who are who are not paying rent. <laughs> Things like that, but it gives a lot to the community. Um my parents used to, you know, pay for a teacher salaries at a small school, you know, different things. So like I literally was born into family that was always giving and doing things. And so it's, it's kind of like how we get um, joy sometimes. My mom's name is Joy too. So <laughs> how we get that in our lives. Yeah, that, that's dope. Uh, you know, we all 
have our own path to plot towards our purpose work. And it definitely sounds like like you are purpose for the work that you do. Yeah. Uh, and, and hearing about your mom and your dad both, it, it sounds like, you know, that those things that they have been doing, it, it's purposed yeah. work, right? And so we know that that we all have purpose, but how how would you say that we would be able to recognize what our purpose is? How do we get to it? I think that one of the ways that people get to that purpose is when you do something and you feel a sense of satisfaction. Mm -hmm. A lot of time, like for, for instance, I do some other things that I do not get satisfaction from. And I know that's not my purpose. It's something temporary that I must do. And if, once I finish it, that's not what I'm going to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so when I other things, I'm like, wow, I feel I feel full. I feel like my cup is full. I this gratitude, the sense of calm, even even amidst chaos is very interesting. And I'm like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And so I think that that's kind of especially with my work, because I also used to do ER work, urgent care work. And I you know, was like, well, I thought I wanted to be an ER doc for a little while, too. And um, then I realized, no, sitting with a mom who's crying because she has postpartum depression and the baby won't latch and breastfeed and I can help her. Whoa, like that's here, you know, like yeah. at sense and you're like, this was stressful. <laughs> but came out feeling so good. And I, I think that if everyone kind of takes a moment to reevaluate situations after they've occurred to see how they actually felt instead of continuing to do it, yeah. not, it may not be your purpose and it may be something you need to say. I have a, a good friend who is an engineer and recently she said, I'm not supposed to be an engineer. Mm. And I said, okay. And she says, I think I just needed to be a person who knows how to figure out problems and help solve them. Three mm -hmm. was for that. <laughs> and so now gradually she's falling into her purpose and it's wonderful because she's, she even helps me figure out my problem. Like it's mm -hmm. and different things, especially with my business. Like she, that actually is more her purpose and she never realized it because she was the person building robots and, you know, doing well in chemistry and math. And so everyone pushed her into engineering. Yeah. And the reality is, is she just needed the analytical part, <laughs> probably. Yeah, I really like the thoughts that you said about there even being like a little peace in the chaos or um, like just the idea of like, you just know when you know. People say that about relationships and life partners, but I think that it's something to be said about like the work that you're doing. Like you just kind of know, like when you're in it, sometimes you can't explain it. Mm -hmm. I would absolutely agree with the whole, just kind of like peace um, or like parts of your work that will be energizing when they are draining to most other people. Uh, like your work. Yeah. <laughs> You know, like, like you just choreographed this whole. Oh no! <laughs> so yeah, I love that idea that you know there is a peace, there is just a knowing. You just you just know. Yeah. Um, and I think I agree with your friend that even if you get taken or rerouted different ways, like everything that we experience yeah. can be used for the next thing. But I'm happy that to hear that she's kind of moving in a direction that's something with something that's more fulfilling for her, you know? Um, we have to be willing 
to switch course. Yeah. And obviously I know that I am, I'm a very linear person and I understand that. But for me, switching course was opening my own practice, mm. right? Going off on a limb. And I'm actually about to open my second practice. Hey. Hey. A little, that might be a little crazy, but, um, <laughs> you know, or opening a free clinic, you know, things like that kind of stepping outside of my comfort zone where I'm more conservative in terms of, you know, making sure things are like this, but then realizing, okay, I'm going to step out on what I think my purpose is. And like, even for my second practice, people are like, why would you do that? And I'm like, my second practice is an area where lots of people are moving and there aren't really doctors at that area. So that's part of the purpose is to provide additional access to care. And so I'm like, if the people are, they've said that they're there and they don't have anybody. <laughs> so we'll see, you know, if, if they come. Yeah. What we're also finding uh, interesting about so many of these conversations is that people are really uh, exposing that we really have to become masters of being able to pivot. Yeah. You know, there's so much of, of what we learn and what we encounter and what we go through that really is setting us up for our purpose, uh, our purpose work and or is setting forth like the framework uh, for us to be able to build the skills that we'll need. And even even with COVID, you know, everybody's having to, to do some form of pivoting to be able to still, you know, stay, you know, on, on level ground and to be able to do the things that, you know, we're purposed to do, yeah. uh, to be able to really explore other areas of, of our interests, whether you're forced into doing it, whether you just have the time to do it or whether you just are led uh, to do that and being able to use the skills that you've developed over the years or things that you've been exposed to or situations that you've been in just to be able to pivot. And a lot of times the, the universe is conspiring to, to really pivot us towards our purpose. Always. Yeah. Always. Right. If we listen. If we listen. Yeah. It, and that's and I've seen so much of that during these times. And I've, I've seen two extremes. I've seen people who and of course you see this, Scott. So people who just can't can't do it. And so then they be, they go into that dark, darker place. Right. Or, mm -hmm. And they just never learned a skill of how to do it. And then I'm seeing people just flourish who were able to. And it also sometimes makes me wonder is how do we train a child or a teen to learn how to do that? So I have different sets of teens in my practice. I have the ones who they're just, they just won't seem to pivot. <laughs> they're working on some pivoting, but they are struggling so hard because they just want what, what once was and they can't see that your future may look different than yeah. previously we had and then i see others who were like oh i'm oh this oh i'm about to do this like i don't know if you saw shatay that um our line sister jessica's son just bought a vending machine no i hadn't seen that yet i saw it <laughs> yeah he's like oh that's what i'm about to do like that is amazing. And, you know, my, my children, I, I'll be honest with you, they asked me to start a business too during COVID. And I, I just like, I can't do I that. Got time. <laughs> but, but at some point, you know, maybe this summer I'll let them explore their entrepreneurial spirit. But, you know, it's, it's interesting to see, you know, how some people are able to do it, some aren't, but it's like, how do you even teach people 
how to learn how to pivot and to, and I think a lot of it re- does rely on faith. And it doesn't necessarily have to, you know, some people don't believe in God or whatever might be the case, but having faith that there's a better opportunity, even if you initially you fail, that there's still some good that will come out of it. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I understand you shouldn't just continuously seek out endeavors that are going to fail. <laughs> so yeah. smart and wise as you make those decisions, make sure that your family or just yourself are okay when you make those changes. Absolutely. Yeah. It's about being adaptable. It's about, uh, I think to your point, taking the fear out of failure, which I was, it's interesting as this coming up. I was literally just yesterday talking about, you know, uh, when I was full-time in dan- in my dance career as an educator and like my teaching philosophy being, teach- teaching philosophy being um, part of it was about basically taking the fear out of failure by mm-hmm. teaching people how to like overcome their mistakes and like that there is life outside after that mistake. And it involved a lot of like turning the lights off so that people can dance in the dark or like uh, gamifying movement or like, you know, mm-hmm. recovering. So like really reinforcing um, the progress over the perfection and just mm-hmm. applauding that. Like, I noticed you just messed up, but the way you recovered was just beautiful. Mm-hmm. And there's something really beautiful, honestly, about seeing people who once, like, they wouldn't even try it because they were afraid they were gonna mess up. Or when they did mess up, they would just quit altogether. So then at the end of a semester, seeing someone just like power through that thing, yeah. even if every single step was wrong, they just didn't quit is probably one of the most beautiful things I think I have witnessed like in my time in that type of career. So I agree like how to, I think it takes some time to teach people to learn how to adapt and and how to trust themselves enough Mm -hmm. and trust the process enough. Um, But definitely a skill that is needed to make it, especially these days for sure. But that, I mean, even your class, like that should be a class that everybody takes. I mean, not so just about dance, but just that concept because in medicine, they don't do that. Mm. And I'll be honest with you, some of the highest suicide rates are in physicians because they don't teach you how to accept failure. I mean, especially if someone dies, you know, they like, how do you process that? You know, and there isn't a lot of that taught. And so when people make mistakes, or even there have been, you know, students and things like that who maybe failed an exam, or, you know, people, they, their whole life is over now and not even realizing. That would be a great class. That should be a mandatory class versus the English, because I don't remember any of the parts of speech that they taught me. <laughs> My kids are like the past part of some, but I'm like, I don't remember what that is. <laughs> Never once have I used it on my adult life, right? right. <laughs> Just teach like, me how to speak. Exactly. I'll speak in a king's English, right? Exactly. Seriously, like a class that's going to teach you how to navigate the failures of life, like mm-hmm. that's powerful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then what would be your biggest advice? Could be uh, for your kids, it could be for your younger self, someone who is, you know, venturing to figure out what's what's theirs to do. What would you tell them? So definitely for like my younger self, one of the biggest regrets that I had, I won't say regrets, but the biggest things that I wish I had done while I was in college was study abroad. Mm. So, and actually learn a foreign language. So I didn't do this because I was doing research and I couldn't do research in another country if I wanted to graduate with honors. 
guess who never even finished their honors project? Me. Wow. Because I got burned out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I did research from sophomore year through. Wow. You know? And so when I look back, I was like, who cared if I graduated? And granted, I, I ended up, I think my GPA was more important than the significance of honors program. I was in the honors program, but you know, you have to do the project to get that designation. And so I, I really, all my friends who did it, I was like, man, I wish I had done that, you know? And so that's why you saw me doing all those other things, but I had to pay for all of those. You know, most of them I ended up paying, I think two I was paid, but the rest of them I paid for. Yeah. So I wish that I would have done that, but also just being able to, I'm, I'm more of a, not as a like laid back person, you know, like this has to be done and then the whole world falls apart. You know, that was me. And um, until I met my husband and we've been married now 11 years, but he was the person who kind of was like, so. <laughs> and I'm like, but this, 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 and this. And he's like, okay. <laughs> to help me just kind of change my, you know, it's not that serious. This didn't happen or that didn't happen. Cause I would just get so, you know, discombobulated and all these other things. And he's like, you can't control that. So why are you upset about it? <laughs> he's like, you have to, if you believe, if you, for me, it's like, if you believe in God, then you need to believe in God. Oh, come on. Uh -huh. Just gave a word. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I was like, oh, yes. <laughs> and so it's really, it's really has helped me because when certain things happen, I'm like, that's, you know, that's the will of God. And I can't change that. And there's no point in me dwelling on this or getting really upset. And it's even helped me now with my staff. You know, they might, you know, somebody gave the wrong injection to a parent or something. And I used, you know, I used to get so upset. And even more recently, I'm like, listen, you can't do that. You got to pay more attention. But it's like my whole approach is different in terms of, you know, this happened once. It cannot happen again. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I need you to do this, this, and this versus you're fired. I mean, I don't think I, I never fired somebody, but you know, just that's what I would be thinking. Like I need to just get rid of them because they made one little mistake. But the reality is we all, all make mistakes. And when we do that, then it helps us to learn from those and therefore grow and develop. But if you never grow, of course you got to go, but, <laughs> but you know, kind of. The thing. So I think those are probably the two things is to, to not get so fixated on this linear concept that I had. And and able to fudge a little bit more, but younger me obviously didn't realize I could do that, and so I didn't. But I was able to make up for it and have a lot of those experiences that I wanted. I'm still not fluent in Spanish though, which you can get there. You can get there. There are apps for that, Duolingo and all kinds. Girl, of things. I've tried to. I, I needed to be submerged when I was <laughs> emerged. I should say sorry, but. I mean, I'm, I'm fine, but you know, you, you're just like, man, because other people I saw do it and I'm like, oh man, I should have done it. So tell us, uh, with everything that you have going on with, with, um, you know, your, the community healthcare center, uh, with the main work that you're doing, uh, we're trying to open a second practice, so much going on. How can we help you? What, is there anything that, that our audience can do that we can do as the hazes, yeah. anything, how can we help? You know, personally, for me, I think the biggest ways that people can help, because obviously you're not, in my, you know, necessarily in my city, mm -hmm. but looking at your city to see, you know, are there free clinics? Do people know about free clinics? And then are we making sure we're supporting them? 
-hmm. and encouraging other, you know, counselors and things like that. Like, are we volunteering our services in those? Of course, you have your, you know, your job. Make sure you don't do free work there because you got to get paid. But then we have, you know, those types of things to help. Um, You know, anytime people support Dr. Jihan, I appreciate it. And it's it's just my that's my fun way of kind of kind of what you know, you guys get it. You get to interview different people, talk about different topics, but really educating the community and making people. We always get fixated on celebrities and how amazing they are and all this other stuff. And people are really into their lives. But that's not our reality. So I love my show or my, you know, Facebook Live because it's showing you real life people that you could become. Like you could take on this career, you could pivot and do this, or you can see how you can multitask or invent new things. And so this month um, for February, I will be interviewing writers, black male writers. Nice. Because as you know, Black men are not writing. <laughs> you know, I mean, people aren't writing, you know, period. The love of, of of the ink is not something that we continue on. So definitely, you know, supporting, sharing that. But for me, it's the, the health aspect is just really so many people have insurance and they never think about the people who don't. Yeah. And I think I personally saw that firsthand because I'm self-employed. And so I had to then apply through the marketplace, you know, Obamacare, they want to say. And then I found nobody wanted to take my insurance. Mm. So I was like, what? I pay I pay fifteen hundred dollars a month for my family. Why can't we find, you know, people who want to take this insurance and just the struggles and the things. And so people are like, oh, you have it easy. I'm like, no, yeah. insurance doesn't pay for any of my medications. <laughs> no, I pay for you know, so it's like once I kind of saw that, then I understand a little bit more people's plots and people not being able to pay, you know, co-pays and things like that. But just being individuals who make sure that people understand that mm-hmm. the right to health care and those who can't pay a copay still need a right to health care. So the question is, what are we doing as a society to make sure that people have access to quality health care in in and even if they have insurance, that doesn't mean they can actually pay for their. Hmm. That's insightful. I had not thought to think, look up free clinics and, mm-hmm. and support their efforts. So thank you for that tip. And if there is ever, I definitely want to share out uh, your Dr. Jihan Facebook page. But if there's ever, I don't know if there's donation links you want to share with us that we can um, share out as well. Oh, definitely. Yes. Um, Clara, Clara Community Health Center. So it's. It's clarahealthcenter.org. Okay. It's our website um, for our clinic. And then we have a donation there, but also Clara Community Health Center on Facebook. And we have that information there if people want to donate. Like I said, all, all of our, and I don't know if I actually, I didn't actually mention it, but everyone's a volunteer in our clinic. We don't pay any staff. Wow. So all the money just goes towards the, and then the meds and services for Absolutely. Wow. So That's we will amazing. be donating ourselves and then we'll also yeah. make sure that we share that out. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Now, I keep forgetting like to raise money. Like, <laughs> like I'm not, that's not my, um, you know, my perfection. Like, you know, raising money is not, I've actually done really well with this clinic because other people 
They're like, you need to raise money for your clinic. And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, I'm going to just help you. <laughs> All right. That Glad part. You have, yeah. Glad you got the help you need. All right. Music? Yeah. So uh, Shate and I are music, music fanatics, mm-hmm. music heads. We believe that uh, uh, music is healing. It uh, provides the soundtrack for most of our life. Mm-hmm. Um should take gets on me because music is always playing in this house. It's very loud. Uh, <laughs> I just so, figured she danced to it, right? Right. That's Sometimes me I do. Too. Me too. <laughs> Sometimes so, I do. So anyway, we want to ask you, what is your music for this moment? What is the song for you that that inspires your work or, or you know gives you strength to keep going? What does this feel like for you? Um, huh, what music? You know, it's interesting because. I can't ever think of the song right now. It's a song I keep hearing, but it's it was one that really hit me. I have to think of it in a second. But the other night, my husband just put on um, Coltrane, mm. and I found myself dancing through the house. I do that too, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just I was doing all these modern dance pieces. I was probably choreographing this away. <laughs> you know, if you listen to Coltrane, it's more of a modern dance feel, but I feel like that actually spoke to me. You know, I listen to the radio, I listen to music, but that spoke to me more. And I hadn't really listened to it in a long time. And it was that smooth, calm intricacies, but still then you, you know, waver to the the calm. And I feel like I, I might I might be a little Coltrane Miles Davis. That might be kind of where I am right now. I'm here for it. We're gonna put some yeah. of that on the playlist. Yeah, well, let's do it. yeah it was it was so random. Like he was reading an article or something and then he just started playing it. And I was like, wow, this, my mom plays it, you know, growing up and my, my, my aunt and uncle, everybody, they're really being in jazz. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I had kind of forgotten about it. So nice. <laughs> the whole vibe, right? Whole mood. It was a whole moon. And they were like, what are you doing? <laughs> 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 like we're trying to teach you how to do some modern dance. Come here. <laughs> cool, huh? Let's go well, thank you so much, uh, sis, for being on. Like your story, I, I feel like I've even learned more about you through this conversation. I think what you're doing, I've said it before already, but it's really powerful. I think it's beautiful. And I really like how it's kind of weaved, like how your mind was opened and exposed to these communities in college and how it's directly like impacting the communities around you. I think yeah. it's. Just, just some good stuff going on over there. <laughs> That's dope. Oh, thank you. I, I definitely appreciate being able to share those things. I think it, like, like I said before, is sometimes we don't think it could be us. You know. Yeah. It can't be. Yeah, and um, it just give us a lot to think about, and uh, I think we appreciate having so many friends and family members and and folks that we know and being able to normalize like all of these different parts of the work that we all have to do to contribute to our communities being better and healthier and being the best that we really can be and we actually know people who are doing this work and uh normalizing it to the point to where we are then teaching our children that they have their part of the work that they will also be responsible for so I really appreciate you um, coming coming and joining us and just being a part of the Love Haze podcast for today. 
Definitely a pleasure. And it's always a privilege to see, you know, Black couples in love who are work, can work together and create those beautiful things. Yeah. So that's it for this episode of the Love Haze podcast. Um, until next time, y'all, we encourage you to pull up to your purpose. Pull up. <laughs> <laughs>